0: This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary, which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org.
1: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
0: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with my co-host, Austin McCormick. Today, for this Reformation special episode, we have a guest, and it is Pastor Nate Pickowitz, Um, Nate was raised in Gilmanton, Ironworks, New Hampshire, and if I get any of these wrongs, you can correct me, Nate, Um, where he now lives with his wife, Jessica, and two children, Jack and Elizabeth. Nate is the pastor of Harvest Bible Church. He is the author of Reviving New England, The Key to Revitalizing Post-Christian America, as well as Why We're Protestant an Introduction to the Five Solas of the Reformation. He also is the general editor of the American Puritan series. Um, Welcome to the Covenant Podcast.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, Nate, I'm going to ask the
0: first question today. Uh, This episode will be released on Reformation Day. Can you tell us exactly what happened on October 31st of 1517 and uh, what led Martin Luther to do what he did and uh, what were the effects of some of his actions?
2: Sure. So on October 31st, uh, 1517, that's when we know that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to uh, the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, really, it was sort of the culmination of a lot of the work that had already been done in his own mind and heart. Uh, He was uh, a, a a Roman Catholic monk, and he'd been studying for years. And really, when he began to study the Word of God, and especially uh, Romans two four, um, and talking, working through the justi- doctrine of justification by faith, uh, really, he had kind of had enough of the uh, abuses of the Roman Catholic Church, and so took action. Uh, the The castle of Wittenberg, the door was usually the place where they would tack up notices and you know little uh, writings and things for discussion. And so he got up grabbed his hammer, tacked it up there, and uh, laid it all out for the things he wanted to discuss. And I think initially it was just his desire to to open the dialogue with Rome and to see them address the abuses and address some of the problems that he saw. Uh, I don't think he knew in the moment that it was going to have such a, a dramatic effect. And that is what we generally know to be the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And so Um, that really is what sparked. uh, There were other factors behind it, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but that was really the beginning of what we know to be the Reformation, and uh, it hasn't stopped since.
1: Thank you. Were were there any precursors to Martin Luther or those that went before him that kind of observed some of the things he would later observe, as well as are there any other key Reformers that, that we should know about?
2: Yeah, so before Luther, I mean, there was uh, quite a lot going on. I mean, for the la- for the few hundred years even before Luther, there were other uh, kind of pre-Reformers. You know, guys like Jan Hus and um, and uh, Wycliffe and uh, and others. Even Erasmus, I mean, a lot of scholars attribute Erasmus's uh, translation of the Greek New Testament uh, to being kind of like the the, kin- the kindling wood before uh, the fire was set really, once the Bible began to be understandable, and once people understood the original language and realized that there were some things they were believing about the Bible that weren't true, all of those factors led into it. You know, obviously Wycliffe uh, translates uh, the New Testament into English for the first time, and so we're starting to see um, the Bible come to the fore and and uh, that's really what's what's being used in the Reformation, is the understanding of the Bible. But uh, Luther certainly wasn't the first guy, but he, for some reason in God's e- economy and God's providence, uh, Luther was the one that was used uh, really the most at that point uh, to really sound a, sound a call to examine the practices of the, of the church. And so, uh, yeah, there were several Reformers, I would say, uh, Wycliffe, Huss, um, and then we look into even beyond... Uh, Luther, you get into you know sort of the, the, the Reformation happening in Switzerland with uh, Zwingli, uh, Calvin and Beza come into the picture a little bit later. Uh, you know you have Tyndale in England. and so all these people are really working in concert with each other uh, to bring about this uh, this Reformation. really you see the hand of God all throughout Europe. It's pretty remarkable. But uh, Luther is kind of the beginning of it from what we see, but it definitely continued beyond Luther and and even now, it's still continuing now.
0: Uh, The next question that we have for you is threefold. Uh, A couple of years ago, you released a book titled Why We're Still Protestant. What does it mean to be Protestant? And who or what are we protesting? And uh, some say the Reformation is still over. Is this true?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I mean, really at the heart of, of Protestantism I mean the word protest. I mean it's a it's a rejection of, of a, of the understood or, or acceptable dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it's I, I think it's challenging to build a, a a denomination or a movement around arguments. You know around protest. Uh, certainly, we don't want to be uh, you know disagreeable or schismatic or anything like that. But the very heart of it, I mean, you know, even thinking about Jude, uh, Jude four you know, talking about, or Jude 3, Jude 4, talking about contending earnestly for the faith. I mean, we are to be, as Christians, uh, those who are contending, and part of contending is raising your voice against things that are not correct. You want to sound uh, the the truth of the gospel, but you also want to uh, refute those who contradict, as uh, Titus one nine says. So um, we are to be contending earnestly for the faith, and so part of protest is whenever you see something that is not The faith, as the Bible would would explain it and teach it, you want to say something, and so that's really the heart of it: is to make sure that we're contending for and protesting against errors surrounding the gospel. So Protestantism is really uh, a continuing establishment of protest against false gospel, and alongside that, uh, the the furtherance of true gospel. So that's the heart of Protestantism, and and that really plays itself out in uh, several different components, which are which, which we know to be the solos, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, is you know is the, the Protestant Reformation still going on today? Uh, the reformers had a, a saying, uh, "Semper reformanda," always reforming. So uh, as uh, since the, the enemy never sleeps, you know Satan never stops attacking the church, and so as long as there are gospel attacks, attacks on Scripture, attacks on the gospel of justification by faith, attacks on Christ. Uh, then we're going to still have to stand. And so I would completely agree the Reformation is still going on. It's going to continue to go on until Christ returns. And so we have a, an opportunity, we have an obligation uh, to take up the mantle and uh, to contend earnestly for the faith that's once been delivered to all the saints.
1: Amen. In your book, you outline all five of the solas, among other things. So so what are the five solas of the Reformation? And if you could give us just a a brief summary of each one and why they matter to both the pastor as well as the person in the pew.
2: Yeah, so the five solas, uh, you know, there was no council that sat down during the Reformation and said, okay, here's the five solas, and we're going to agree on these. Uh, (laughs) What we start (laughs) to see is when you examine just some of the writings of the early Reformers, you see these, these themes reoccurring over and over and over again. These are really battle cries, and so Over the course of, um, as far as I can tell, 15 or 20 years, 30 years, we see these phrases over and over again. We see them show up in Luther's writings. We see them showing up in Calvin's writings, um, several of the other Reformers as well. But really, when you look at just the the, the battle cry of the Reformation, uh, you have uh, sola scriptura, which is Scripture alone, uh, sola gratia, by grace alone, sola fide, by faith alone, solus Christus, which is in Christ alone, and then soli deo gloria, which is to the glory of God alone. And each one of those uh, credos, each one of those battle cries, really outlines one key area of contention, one key battleground area that was, uh, was being fought over. So, you know, for example, Luther was, you know, fighting against indulgences and against papal abuses of power and things like that. But, but when you really go to the root, what is the main issue? It's not just about people being abusive because all sinners are abusive in some form or another. Uh, what is the major issue and so they identify look there's an attack on Scripture uh, you know for example Sola Scriptura deals with the issue of okay look the authority uh, for Christianity is vested uh, not in the church, not in terms of you know councils and creeds and not in the Pope and not in any one leader. Uh, the authority it's not in the Magisterium it's not in church tradition authority, for Christianity is vested in God's revealed word in his scripture. So it's by scripture alone that we have everything for life and godliness. Uh, so sola, sola scriptura was all about battling for scripture. Sola gratia is so by grace alone. Uh, we're not adding anything. We're, we're not doing this in human effort uh, and compiling that with grace and some kind of a joint effort. Uh, this is by God's sovereign grace that he even redeems anybody. So it's by grace alone. Through faith alone, it's not going to be by faith and works. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.16, that we are justified, we're declared righteous before God, even though we're not, uh, we're justified by faith, apart from works of the law, that's faith plus nothing else. Not deeds, not good works, uh, whatever uh, other works of penance the Catholic Church would put in there. Uh, no other human effort, it's by faith alone. And what is, sorry, my phone's ringing, I'm going to let it ring here just for a second. Um, by faith alone. And what is the object of our faith? It's going to be in Christ alone. Uh, it's going to be not in uh, in saints. It's not going to be in Mary. It's not going to be in any other uh, you know organization. We're going to put our faith squarely in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, he is the, the author and perfecter of faith. This, There you go. I knew that this was going to stop eventually. <laughs> and then uh, the final one is Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, we don't do this for ourselves. We don't do this so that the church can get big. We don't do this for any other purpose except to glorify God. And so Calvin had a, a phrase he liked to write about often, which was Coram Deo, uh, that we live our life before God all the time. So living life, no matter what, whether you eat, drink, to the, all to the glory of God, that's what Paul said, but all areas of life. There's not a sacred and, and secular divide within the church. It's not like some things are are holy some things are not holy when i go to church that's one thing but when i go to my job it's something else all of life is to be done to the glory of god and so uh in a in a five minute summation that's as, probably as good as i can do uh obviously it took me a whole book to really get <laughs> even further but even my book was just an introduction there's been so much written about this but uh, the goal of writing why we're protestant was to try to distill as much of that as possible in a way that could be understood for the person in the pew
0: well, thank you for that answer. Uh, this next question may be difficult to think about apologetically. How should Protestant Christians and churches think of and minister to those who are members of the Roman Catholic Church? Can a person be a Roman Catholic and be saved?
2: Let me start with the the second part of the question first, then we'll back into the first part if that's okay. Um, th- th- that question comes up a lot. Can a person in the Roman Catholic Church be saved? Well, the answer is salvation. If we understand sola gratia, sola fide, if salvation is by the grace of God alone, through faith in Christ alone, then uh, then God is the one who regenerates, and God is the one who redeems, and God is the one who saves. So God can save anyone, anywhere, at any time. Uh, we're seeing that even in popular culture right now. God chooses who he saves, and so Uh, is it possible that a person in the Roman Catholic Church could be saved? Absolutely. Uh, For example, Martin Luther was in the Roman Catholic Church, and God awakened his eyes to the gospel. He read the scriptures, he repented and believed, trusted in Jesus, and he was saved. So, um, yeah, I mean, anybody anywhere can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and be saved. The question is, okay, when you're in the Roman Catholic Church, and you are born again, say you do understand the gospel, say someone shares it with you, or say even if the priest gets up and he's reading scripture just in the open forum and he happens to read uh, verses of the Bible and you hear this and the eyes of your heart become enlightened and you repent and believe and trust in Christ alone, yeah, you can be saved. But the question I have is, okay, well, how long can you stay in that organization? How long can you sit there uh, when uh, when the Mass is being uh, performed Uh, When Christ is being re-offered up as a a sacrifice all over again, uh, how long can you stay there while people are bowing to the priest and saying prayers to Mary and prayers to the dead? And how long can you stay? And my contention is I don't think you can stay very long. Uh, Where we are in New England, I'm in New Hampshire, there's a lot of people in our church that came out of Roman Catholicism, and the reason they came out is because once they understood who Christ is, Uh, they can't stay. They realize they can't stay, and so they've come out. A lot of our people have come out of Roman Catholicism, and they've come into our church, and now they believe the Bible, they believe the gospel. Uh, I do not believe that uh, the Roman Catholic Church um, preaches a saving gospel. They read scripture, they use Bible language, but you have to really work hard and fight against Roman Catholic dogma to get a clear gospel from their liturgy from their their creeds and so on and so forth. So uh, I guess it is technically possible but you really got to fight hard to go, to go against that. And, and to the second part of that, well what do we do? How do we minister? Again, we're we're dealing with the same kinds of language. You talk to a person in the Roman Catholic Church and they're going to use the words Jesus and Bible and gospel and prayer and faith and grace and it's all the same language. The ver- the words are the same. But what we mean by those words is very different and so i think you have to approach them the way you would approach anybody else with grace and with kindness and love but also with truth you know and you and you can ask a person you know even apologetically say well what do you mean by faith what does it mean to have faith where is your your faith and you can bring them to scripture and say well the bible says uh this the bible says call no man father except for the, our father who's in heaven what do you do with that when you call your priest father and you can just reason with people. Um, I wrote Why We're Protestant um, as part of ap- apologetics. Uh, I've known people who have had this book, and they've given it to uh, Catholics who are questioning, and uh, my sincere desire is that in evaluating the arguments, the biblical Christianity uh, versus Roman Catholicism, that in evaluating the arguments biblically, the people would see that what's being taught in the Roman Catholic Church is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, about salvation, about God, and uh, we would do well to uh, to pay attention to that. So, uh, I think we just have to approach them with love, with grace, and kindness, and um, and really work from there.
1: Hmm. I agree. Um, this one gears more towards pastors in particular. Um, should pastors teach the churches God has set them over about the Reformation as you did in your book? And if so, what are some suggestions that you have for them going about that task?
2: Yeah, so I think um, the the task, the call of a pastor is to feed the flock, and you feed them by administering uh, the Word of God. So the primary responsibility of every pastor, every church leader is to make sure you're teaching Scripture. Uh, you know, you really don't want to hobby horse any one thing. Uh, you really want to make sure that you're giving people sound doctrine and Scripture. With that said, there I think there is a place for bringing historical theology and bringing uh, exposition of Scripture that bears out in doctrine like this. So, you know, for example, in our church uh, in 2017, uh, I went through and I taught them through the solos, but I I wanted to make sure that I was teaching the sola is not as okay. Here, here are the scriptural proof texts for this sola, but here is where we get this sola from the scriptures. This is what the Bible teaches, and so therefore we have sola scriptura. And you know, when you read Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, that teaches sola scriptura. It teaches that that all scriptures God breathed and profitable. So you you have to uh, you have to didact that information. Uh, you know, you talk about grace alone. Scripture is very clear about teaching the concept of by grace of God alone, faith alone, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a place for it, and I think that largely, just generally speaking, I don't think that most Christians in America, possibly worldwide, are are very literate on uh, the doctrines of the Reformation, or even that the Reformation even happened. Maybe they know something about it, but they don't really know much, and so uh one reviewer a couple of years ago called uh, Why We're Protestant the, the highlight reel of the Reformation. And I, I love that. That was the best compliment he could have paid. It was this is really just sort of the, the distillation of the most basic elemental principles of the Reformation. Um, and so uh, I taught through this material, like I said, on Sunday morning. I know other pastors who've done solas series uh, in their church. And I think as long as you're not, as a pastor... Uh, making your business about just teaching um, you know only theological concepts from a theological construct and you're using scripture and you're you're didacting scripture i think you can do it i think you can do a series on the solos or you can do i know some churches have done you know book studies uh why we're protestant or there's several other books that are fantastic Um, i think teaching people about the reformation is important and, and making sure that they understand, like, this is something that God did. This isn't just a, a man-made movement. God moved in the hearts of people, and he's the one who is the author over all of these movements and beyond. And so I think it's valuable. I know that our church, at least as far as I can tell, has benefited from learning these things, and I've really latched on and really enjoyed and appreciated um, even just studying these and reading the writings that came out of that period.
0: Well, thank you for that. Uh, Nate, Jimmy and I are both from the Midwest. Uh, We both pastor rural churches in the Midwest, and uh, things that we've noticed about our culture is that our people are very practically minded. What are some practical benefits that came as a result from the Reformation, and how does believing Reformational doctrines affect everyday life?
2: Well, I think... um... I can't remember who said it, but somebody much smarter than me said that all all doctrine is practical. All theology has application. And so uh, when we talk about the Christian faith, I think it's very easy uh, to be pragmatic. And we have it up in New England, too. I mean, folks, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know they don't they don't want to just sit there and kind of be filled with information if they don't know how to use it. They got jobs to to work. They have a, a family to raise. They have things to do. so every everybody wants to know how this is applicable. But when you're talking about the the very crux of the Christian faith, um, you know, for example, you know, I, I wrote an article not, not too long ago about the practical applications of the doctrine of justification, uh, and there are several things. It's not just something you need to know. But uh, for example, when you're talking about, uh, say, you're having just the worst day of your life, you know, you're you're living as a Christian you're struggling to get into your bible you're struggling to pray the enemy seems to be against you, you you know you're having a trouble in your marriage just things are not going well if in those moments you think in your mind well gee whiz i'm not doing very well maybe i'm losing my faith maybe god is angry with me maybe i'm not as secure as i thought i was and you begin to doubt your own salvation if you understand that justification that salvation itself is by god's grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, then you have some bedrock to build on. You know, you can speak to yourself, as Lloyd-Jones would say, you can preach to yourself and say, no, no, even though I feel terrible today, even though I'm not doing very well emotionally, physically, spiritually, I need to know that that God is the one who keeps me. Jesus says, uh, you know, I keep my sheep in my hand and no one can pluck them out. If that's true, if your assurance uh, of salvation in Christ is by God's grace, grace through faith, then you can banish those thoughts. You can you can attack uh, the 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 wiles of the enemy, if you will, with, with sound doctrine. You know, if you understand that 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 all of the Christian life is is built, invested in the authority of Scripture, then when someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I have a word from God for you that contradicts Scripture," you don't have to make a choice whether you listen to your friend or listen to the Word of God. You listen to Scripture. You evaluate everything according to Scripture. So, all of, of the Christian life has application it, and it finds its roots, again, in these five credos. Again, this is nothing that really is man-made. These are just distillations from scriptural teaching. So, uh, all of Christian doctrine is practical. It's, uh, if I could use the word applicational, <laughs> I like to make up <laughs> words if I can, but, you know, all of the Christian life, uh, it, it applies, and uh, you just have to study and know uh, how this does apply and how you can use this for all of life and godliness. Mm.
1: Other than your book, which, which I would recommend, it, it is a great introduction that is accessible to, to the five souls as well as some of the historical background, so I would recommend your book. But other than your book, what are some other books on the Reformation, either historically or primary sources that came out of it, that you would recommend to our audience?
2: Yeah, there's, uh, it's funny because there's been so much written, uh, not only during the Reformation, but about the Reformation. Uh, you can kind of get lost in it. Uh, when I was writing Why We're Protestant, I didn't see um, a ton of books on the solas. There, there was a few. There have been a few that's, that have come out recently, even since the Reformation. Uh, but, there, but there have been some that are really helpful. Uh, the mo- probably the most um, basic and sort of elemental ground level book that I think is really well written. Uh, And I'm going to, I'm going to botch the title, but it's, I think it's called Why the Reformation Still Matters. And there's two authors. One of them is Michael Reeves. That's a great book. I actually used that as a resource. That was very helpful in just formulating my thought about some of this. Um, There's a book that came out with several uh, contributors called uh, Solas, I believe that was, uh, that's a helpful book. Um, There's also uh, actually a series that Zondervan put out that was edited by Michael Barrett uh, five distinct books on the solas. And so if you want to do further reading, you can read a whole book on each one of the solas. That just finished coming out a few years ago as well. So uh, the five solas series from Zonderman is great. Matthew Barrett also edited a, a, a thicker book, about a thousand pages, called Reformation Doctrine or Reformation Theology. I can't remember the title of it exactly, but uh, that gets into a far more detail. So lots of levels of, of engagement with doctrine itself of the Reformation. If you're looking to read primary sources, I mean, obviously you can't beat Calvin's Institutes. There are several great editions of that uh, book. Uh, I edited together uh, Calvin's work on justification by faith uh, for HE Publishing a couple years ago or last year, I think it was. That just deals with Calvin on justification. It's a lot shorter of a book to read. Um, but also, I mean, you could read Luther's Bondage of the Will, which is a, a great book. Uh, there's a book he uh, wrote called, or was compiled together called three treatises. And that was really his earliest thoughts on pre-reformation and things like that. So there's so much written by, by those men and others, uh, that's, that's been really helpful. And again, I access a lot of those sort of, uh, on a broader spectrum and distilled it into one book, but there's a lot that's really, really good to read.
0: Nate, thank you so much for taking the time to record with us today.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thank you guys.